Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this is the podcast for you. So, Dakota, on today's episode, I, honest to God, swear I am not going to up you on this one. Okay, well, (laughs) you say that, but I've been upped so many times, I'm just getting let... Left and right, I'm getting upped, 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 okay? Now, let's uh, quickly explain. If people don't know, the term upped means that uh, back when the movie Up by Pixar came out, everybody told me it was, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, They oversold it. It was just pretty all right. There, I said it. (laughs) So, do not up me. What are we talking about? Well, today we're going to be talking about the Donner Party. The Donner Party. Yeah. Uh, am I supposed to know what that is? No. Well, maybe. Okay, so here's the thing. We were talking about it in the office, and I honestly thought that, like, everybody knew who the Donner Party was. Okay. And not a single human in the office knew. Um, So my friend Larissa actually texted her dad, who is a history teacher, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's a da-da-da-da-da. So, so he was the only person that knew, but uh, nobody else did. Okay. Is this a political thing, or is it? No. Okay. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what it possibly could be. Is it a mob-related thing? No. Hmm. Okay, well, I have no guesses, but I'm interested because you told me you're not going to up me. And again, I've been up so many times. Yeah. Don't up me. (laughs) Uh, This is also, listeners, going to be a two-parter. The whole research took up 18 pages. So Holy shit. We're going to do a two-parter today. We're in for a ride. today and next week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're definitely not recording them together right now. (laughs) No, definitely not. All right, so sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of the Donner Party. by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. Dakota, what's your golden nugget? So we started playing Resident Evil 7. Yes. The Two days ago. It's terrifying. And it's a super scary game. Basic premise, you're kidnapped by hillbillies while you're trying to save your uh, wife. And... Uh, these hillbillies, I find them, uh, they're just, they're just so scary and they keep on like, they can uh, regenerate. So like the one dad, he like cut off his son's arm in front of you and then eventually it grows back and shit. But this, this game's really scary. So I originally tried to play this game a couple years ago and got to a point where I was like, fuck that. 
this this game is scaring the shit out of me. So now I'm mostly watching you play. Yeah. I'll I'll play a little bit here and there, but like I'm just like enjoying the story and watching it. But it's it's a really good game, and I want to play more of these games. But I'm such a baby when it comes to scare games. Yeah, and we we cannot play any of the zombie versions. Oh, so we're not playing Resident Evil Two then? Well, we don't have to. I quit that game because it was too scary. So zombies scare me. We know this. Yeah, and then they're the so the yeah Resident Evil Seven. There aren't actual zombies in it. Whereas Resident Evil Two, only zombies. Yeah, probably we won't play that one. Okay, sorry. That's that's okay. It'll be too scary. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, how many times have I screamed? Uh, out loud, like murderous death screams. Well, yesterday it was about at least three or four times. And then I've screamed a couple times too. Yeah. So And when we say scream, it's not just like ah! No like, it... imagine me being murdered. Yeah. <laughs> That's the type of scream. I, I do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I don't like jump scares and so I don't find like fighting the guys or the hillbillies that scary, right? Like it doesn't bother me, but they have these like weird shambling black things that just fucking pop up around a corner. And every time I lose <laughs> my shit and I know that they're coming and yeah. I can't. So I do this like, I like zigzag out the corner. <laughs> it's really silly. I like, ha, ha. <laughs> like a quadruple take. Yeah. Just to see if something's around the corner. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because yeah. I refuse to be jump scared. Oh, but you have been I know. a number of times. They got but, me. But you're enjoying it, though? I am. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good game. I just like... And I it's g- short, too. I like that about it. Yeah, and I, I, love, I love the concepts of scary games and scary movies, but, like, they're so different and unique in many ways, but they're oftentimes too scary for me yeah. to handle. Yeah. So that's, you know, rock hard place kind of situation. Yeah, but I agree. Yeah, what about you? What's yours? Yeah, so I've been swimming again, as usual. Um, I'm on a really fast pace. You are the fastest swimmer I know. I am, and I was able to do my spins today. What the hell's a spin? So rather than touch the wall and then push off, you do like a somersault in front of the wall and push off. What? It makes you so fast. So I was practicing those today. It's like parkour, but in the water? Exactly. I'm doing parkour in the water. Water No, I can't think of a cool name for it. Parkour. Parkour. That's pretty cool, though. Like you. that you can do that. Yeah. Um, but I've also found that I'm going too fast for my lungs. So today I did a hundred meters and uh I was exhausted by the end of that and usually mm. I don't so I don't know, I gotta figure out how to pace myself better so that I'm not going too fast, but that I can like still challenge myself. Yeah, you're too fast for your damn lungs, I guess. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. So the Donner Party, or sometimes called the Donner Reed Party. The Donner what? Donner Reed. Okay was a group of American pioneers who migrated to California in a wagon train from the Midwest in the late 1840s. Are you excited yet? No. Uh, Mostly because uh, it's a time period I don't like. That's fair. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm very curious where this is going to go. They were delayed by a series of mishaps which found them stranded in the snowbound Sierra Nevada mountain range during the winter of 1846 to 1847. Their story is one of survival and, more often, a sensationalized story of the tactics that they had to go to in order to survive the harsh conditions they experienced. Okay, I'm in. 
That's uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm picturing you know they're gonna eat each other. Oh, it's about cannibalism, isn't it? Don't don't spoil it yet. But if it's about cannibalism, I love that shit. Not like doing it. What, you want to eat people? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I have to go. No, I love stories that involve cannibalism. This might not, but you know, even if it doesn't, if you wanted to throw some cannibalism <laughs> in there, up. maybe just, just make it up. Fake history news. <laughs> just at the end of it, and be like, and then they ate each other. <laughs> and I'm like, but but they like they got to safety though. <laughs> no, they still were hungry, so they ate each other. <laughs> I guess we'll just have to find out. Yeah. All right. The Donner Party departed from Missouri and joined the Oregon Trail in the spring of 1846, behind many other pioneer families who were attempting to make the same overland trip. Did you ever play Oregon Trail? Uh, I have played the zombie version of it. Oh. So no, but I'm slightly familiar with it. Yeah, so that's basically this. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Donner Party. So like, how many people are we talking? Like Like a bunch or? 80, so. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of them. Lots of food food to go around, you know, lots of people to eat. <laughs> the journey west usually took between four and six months, but the Donner Party was slowed after electing to follow a new route called the Hastings Cutoff, which bypassed previously established trails and instead cut across the Rocky Mountains Wasatch Range and the Great Salt Lake Desert in present-day Utah. The desolate and rugged terrain and the difficulties they later encountered while traveling along the Humboldt River in present-day Nevada resulted in the loss of many cattle and wagons, and divisions soon formed within the group. By early November, the migrants had reached the Sierra Nevada but became trapped by an early, heavy snowfall near Truckee Lake, which is now called Donner Lake, high in the mountains. Their food supplies ran dangerously low, and in mid-December, some of the group set out on foot to obtain help. Rescuers from California attempted to reach the migrants, but the first relief party did not arrive until the middle of February 1847, almost four months after the wagon train became trapped. Oh, wow. So There's all, definitely some cannibalism going on in this shit. All of this I'm going to go into more in depth, but yeah, this is okay. just an overview for you. Okay, okay. Get me intrigued, why mm. don't you? Of the 87, there you go, 87 members of the party, 48 survived the ordeal. Historians have described the episode as one of the most fascinating tragedies in Californian history and in the entire record of the American westward migration. So this all takes place in a time when people and families were moving west from the east coast of America and trying to find um, land in California. So We need to build a better life for ourselves. We let's go out west, Fievel. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Fievel goes west. There you go. It's good uh, shit. <laughs> it is a good show. Yeah. So no, it's good shit. Sorry. Manifest <laughs> manifest destiny was the whole idea, the whole um, thought process that Americans were just better than the indigenous people that lived there, and mm. so they had a right to this land. So that's kind Classic of classic Americans, am I right? Well, Canadians aren't much better. So we're nor well North Americans. I include us in that. We're- I know you do. You always say <laughs> we're American. I'm like, babe, we're different. We're North Americans. That's true. So the background of this. During the 1840s, the United States saw a dramatic increase in settlers who left their homes in the east to resettle in the Oregon Territory or California, which at the time were accessible only by a very long sea voyage or a daunting overland journey across the American frontier. Some saw California as a place where they would be free to live a fully Catholic culture. Others were attracted to the West's new economic opportunities or inspired by the colonial attitude of Manifest Destiny, which is the belief that the land between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans belonged to European Americans and they should be the ones who settled it. 
Most wagon trains followed the Oregon Trail route, which started from Independence, Missouri, to the Continental Divide of the Americas, which is the mountain range on the west side of North and South America, so kind of like the Rockies in Canada and then going downwards. They would travel about 24 kilometers a day on a journey that took usually between four to six months. The trail generally followed rivers to a south pass, a mountain pass in present-day Wyoming, which was relatively easy for wagons to negotiate. From there, the pioneers had a choice of routes to their destinations. The Hastings Cutoff, which is the one that I had alluded to in the past, or in just a couple minutes back, the Hastings Cutoff was created by Lansford Hastings, an early migrant from Ohio to the West, who went to California in 1842. To encourage settlers to come West, he published the Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California. As an alternative to the Oregon Trail's standard route, he proposed a more direct route. I'm mm. doing air quotes there which actually increased the trip's mileage. This direct route to California was across the Great Basin, and it would see travelers take the Wasatch Ranges and go across the Great Salt Lake Desert in Utah. Hastings himself had not actually traveled any part of his proposed shortcut until early 1846 on a trip from California to a place called Fort Bridger. This fort was a supply place to kind of get people the supplies that they would need to keep on going, but it wasn't well stocked. Um, and it was run by two men in Wyoming. Hastings stayed at this fort and persuaded travelers to turn south and go on his new route called the Hastings Cutoff. As of 1846, Hastings was the second of two men documented to have crossed the southern part of the Great Salt Lake Desert, but neither of them had been accompanied by wagons. So essentially what I'm telling you here is that this place, um, Fort Bridger, was kind of like on the outside of the Wasatch Range and the Great Salt Lake Desert. Hastings was like, yeah, it's way quicker. Go this way. Um... But it wasn't, actually. But it wasn't, actually, and only him and one other person had ever traveled it at this time, and neither of them were in a wagon train. They were just on their horses. Oh, so that's... Wait, so so they would have gone faster because they were riding on their horses? Yeah, and, like, they're not pulling wagons, and they don't have, right. like, the... You know, don't think... Like... So, essentially, if this was Google Maps, they... Um, uh, you know how there's a selection where you can pick either a bus, a, a car, or a, you know, they weren't, yeah. uh, <laughs> they didn't pick the right one or whatever for the person's travels when they're writing this, uh, this pamphlet. So this, what's the person that wrote this pamphlet? Hastings. Hastings. So they didn't, uh, did they think about this or did they just not care? Like the fact that it's different things you're traveling with. Yeah. So I'll get into that in a okay. little bit, but okay. essentially he was just this like really essential like eccentric crazy adventurer man so he was kind of like <laughs> i can relate ah! i can relate to that <laughs> yeah so but yeah i'll talk a little bit more about that okay. further on so mm -hmm. after they get across the great salt lake desert um was arguably the most difficult part of the journey which was the last 160 kilometers across the sierra nevada so all people would have to cross this the hastings cut off um brought them, like, would link them back up with the other people that were on the Oregon Trail. Everybody had to cross over the Sierra Nevada, which was the hardest part of the journey. This mountain range has 500 distinct peaks all over 12,000 feet high, which, because of their height and proximity to the Pacific Ocean, receive more snow than most other mountain ranges in North America. Their eastern side, which is the way that settlers would be coming from, is also notoriously steep. After a wagon train left Missouri to cross the vast wilderness to Oregon or California, timing was crucial to ensure that it would not be bogged down by mud created by spring rains or by massive snowdrifts in the mountains from September onward. Traveling during the right time of year was also critical to ensuring that horses and oxen had enough spring grass to eat. 
So let's talk a little bit about the people who made up the Donner Party. <clears throat> so I'm going to list a bunch of people. Oh, this is my... <laughs> man, this was... Uh... My favorite uh, book in the Bible, Numbers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I also tried to, as I was writing this, make it clear for listeners, but um, there are... But it's eight, not. <laughs> there's 87 people, so... Okay, we'll buckle in. We'll sit down and buckle up. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so in the spring of 1846, almost 500 wagons headed west from Independence. At the rear of the train was a group of nine wagons containing the 32 members of the Reed and Donner families and their employees, and it left on May 12th. So here's a quick rundown of those family, of the people that were there. George Donner was about 60 years old and living in Springfield, Illinois. He had been gradually moving westward and was accompanied by his wife, Tamson, 44. <laughs> Tamson? That's her name. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Okay, that's uh, I've just never heard that name, and... Their three daughters, Frances, six, Georgia, four, and Eliza, three. They also had George's daughters from a previous marriage, Elitha, 14, and Liana, 12. George's younger brother, Jacob, 56, also joined the party with his wife, Elizabeth, 45, and stepsons, Solomon Hook, 14, and William Hook, 12, and the young children, George, nine, Mary, seven, Isaac, six, Louis, four, and Samuel, one. Also traveling with the Donners were Teamsters, so that's a person who drives the animals, Hiram O. Miller, 29, Samuel Shoemaker, 25, Noah James, 16, Charles Berger, 30, John Denton, 28, and Augustus Spitzer, 30. Those are some fun names. His last name was Berger? Berger still exists today. I like it. Can we change our name? <laughs> sure. Berger? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so that's the Donner side. We've also got this other group called the Reeds. So James F. Reed was a 45-year-old native of Ireland, and he was accompanied by his wife, Margaret, 32, his stepdaughter, Virginia, 13, his daughter, Martha Jane, 8, and his sons, James and Thomas, 5 and thir 3. Did, did he ever say, oh, those Donners, they're after my lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Oh. They were also accompanied by Sarah Keyes, who was Margaret Reed's mother. Keyes at this time was in the advanced stages of tuberculosis, and she died at a campsite on the journey. Oh, damn. Yeah. She was buried nearby, off to the side of the trail, and was aged 70. The Reeds hired three men to drive the ox teams, Milt Elliott, 28, James Smith, 25, and Walter Heron, 25. Bayless Williams, 24, went along as a handyman, and his sister, Eliza, I only have two as her age, but that's not right. <laughs> Was the family's cook. <laughs> this two-year-old is the cook. <laughs> I obviously didn't type the second part of that number, so she was in her 20s. I don't know. Okay. No, I, I, I prefer the version where she's a two-year-old. It would be funny. Yeah. So they left on May 12th, remember, the, at the end of this wagon train of 500 trains of wagons. Within a week of leaving, the, the Reeds and Donners joined a group of 50 wagons led by William H. Russell, and by June 16... William H. Macy? The actor? <laughs> no. And by June 16th, the company had traveled 720 kilometers and had 320 kilometers to go to Fort Laramie, Wyoming. They had been delayed by rain and a rising river. Several other families joined the wagon train along the way. Lavinia Murphy, 37, a widow from Tennessee, had a family of 13 with her. Holy crap. Wait, so her husband and then 12 kids? Uh, she's widowed, so she's got no husband. Oh, so she's got 13 kids. Yeah. And I might be saying shit. her name incorrectly. What was it, might, name? it could be Levina? Levina? Leviathan? No. Oh. She's oh. not a whale. <laughs> well, I was thinking more of the Yu-Gi-Oh card, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say it the way I like saying it. So anyways, Lavinia's two married daughters and their families also came along. 
There was also the Breen family with seven children. And there were also a few single people traveling with this group, including a young man sick with tuberculosis uh, who could no longer ride horseback. And the people that he had been traveling with didn't want to care for him anymore, so he was taken in by George Donner. Travel on the California Trail followed a tight schedule. Emigrants needed to head west late enough in the spring for there to be grass available for their pack animals, but also early enough so they could cross the treacherous western mountain passes before winter. The sweet spot for departure was usually sometime in mid to late April. Yet for unknown reasons, the group of people that became known as the Donner Party didn't leave until May 12th. They were the last major pioneer train of 1846, and their late start left them with very little margin for error. So I told you we were going to talk a little bit about Hastings Cutoff. Now is that time. Ooh. To promote his new route and to help his friends at Bridger's Trading Post, Lansford Hastings sent riders to deliver letters to traveling migrants advertising the new route to California. On July 12th, the Reeds and Donners were given one of these letters. Hastings warned the migrants that they could expect opposition from the Mexican authorities in California and advised them to band together in large groups. Because Bridger's trading post would fare substantially better if people used the Hastings cutoff, he told the parties that the shortcut was a smooth trip devoid of rugged country and hostile indigenous people and would therefore shorten their journey by 560 kilometers. He claimed that water would be easy to find along the way, although there would be a couple days crossing a 48 to 64 kilometer dry lake bed would be necessary. He stated that he would be waiting at Fort Bridger to guide the migrants along the new cutoff. This new and better route to California actually added an additional 240 kilometers to their travels. Really? So when you look at it on the map, it does look shorter, Yeah. Uh, but it's really not. And I'll post a picture of that on our Instagram page. Okay. So, okay. So he wanted them to take this route. Sorry, say that again. Why did he, he wanted them to, what would fare better? Uh, so he's got a friend, yeah. Jim Bridgers, mm-hmm. who owns that supply station. Um, so if they take this route, yeah. then they're kind of forced to go to his like yeah. store and buy <laughs> I, supplies. I feel like it's like how they add in a like a museum. They have a gift shop at the end. Oh my you gosh, yes! Exit through the gift sh- gift shop kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so he's like lying to them, saying, yeah. "Oh, it's shorter, and like there's less indigenous people trying to attack you. Like you should go this way because it'll be better. It's a lot easy to, easier to travel." But mm-hmm. in reality, it was not. On July twentieth. At the Little Sandy River, most of the wagon train opted to follow the established trail through Fort Hall. So remember I said this big group of 500 wagons decided to, this big group of 500 wagons had left. And so the majority of them said, no, we're not going to go through Hastings Cutoff. We're going to go the way that everybody else has always gone. Smart. Smart. Yes. But a smaller group opted to head for Fort Bridger and decided that they needed a leader. This is our Donner Party group. Hmm. Most of the younger men in the group were European immigrants and not considered to be ideal leaders. James Reed had lived in the United States for a considerable time, was older, and had military experience, but his autocratic attitude had rubbed many in the party the wrong way, and they saw him as aristocratic, imperious, and ostentatious. Not ostentatious? No! He is that. By comparison, the mature, experienced, American-born George Donner's peaceful and charitable nature made him the group's first choice. The members of the party were comfortably well-off by contemporary standards, and although they were called pioneers, most of the party lacked the experience and skill for traveling through mountainous and arid land. Journalist Edward Bryant had arrived in the area a week ahead of the Donner party. He saw the first part of this Hastings cutoff trail and was concerned that it would be difficult for the wagons in the Donner group, especially with so many women and children. 
He returned to Black's Fork to leave letters warning several members of the group not to take the Hastings cutoff. By the time the Donner Party reached Black Forks on July 27th, Hastings had already left, leading a different group of 40 wagons um, called the Harlan Young Group. Again, the Reeds and Donners had received notice from Hastings that the cutoff was a better route, and Reed in particular was very impressed. He advocated to take the Hastings cutoff route. However, none of the party ever received Bryant's letters warning them to avoid Hastings' route at all costs. Hmm. In fact, in his diary, Bryant states that he believes Jim Bridger deliberately concealed these letters. Bastard. Which is a view that was shared by Reed in his later testimony. The group was also warned by an old friend of Reed's, James Kleiman, who they met on the road coming back from California. Kleiman warned Reed not to take the Hastings cutoff, telling him that the wagons would not be able to make it and that Hastings' information was inaccurate. A fellow pioneer, Jesse Quinn Thornton, traveled a part of the way with the Donner and Reed party, and he recorded this in his book, From Oregon and California in 1848. He declared that Hastings was the Baron Munchausen of travelers in these countries, a reference to a fictional German character that was noted for his impossible achievements as a sportsman and traveler. Tamson Donner, according to Thornton, was gloomy, sad, and dispirited at the thought of turning off the main trail on the advice of Hastings, who she considered a selfish adventurer. So we're left here with a young and inexperienced group of people being swindled into taking this new and better path towards California without any real shred of evidence that they will be safe on this route. I I don't think this is going to end up well for them. I mean, I don't know. It might have, might be the fact that you, like, told me that already or maybe just, just a hunch I have, you know? <laughs> yeah, too bad they didn't have you with them. Yeah. <laughs> On July 31st, 1846, the party left Black's Fork after four days of rest and wagon repairs, 11 days behind the leading Harling Young group. Donner hired a replacement driver and the company was joined by another family called the McCutcheon family and a 16-year-old named Jean-Baptiste Trudeau from New Mexico. Trudeau? Yeah, I was like, wow. Mm. Not our Trudeau, though. Yeah. Well, New Mexico, so. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Within days, they found the terrain to be much more difficult than described. Drivers were forced to lock the wheels of their wagons to prevent them from rolling down steep inclines. Several years of traffic on the main Oregon Trail had left an easy and obvious path, whereas the cutoff was more difficult to find. Hastings wrote directions and left letters stuck to trees. <laughs> the early form of Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> on August 6th, the party found a letter from him advising them to stop until he could show them an alternate route to the one that had been taken by the Harlan Young party. Every time you say Harlan, I'm just like, I just picture Harlem Globetrotters in this case. So I'm like, they're like, go this way. As so. they're bouncing their basketball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reed and two other men, Charles Stanton and William Pike, rode ahead to go get Hastings. They encountered exceedingly difficult canyons where boulders had to be moved and walls cut precariously to a river below, a route that was likely to break the wagons. In his letter... Hastings had offered to guide the Donner party around the more difficult areas, but he rode back only part of the way, indicating the general directions to follow. So they didn't really know where they were going. Super. <laughs> Stanton and Pike stopped to rest, and Reed returned to the group alone, arriving four days after the party's departure. Without the guide they had been promised, the group had to decide whether to turn back and rejoin the traditional trail, follow the tracks left by the Harlan Young party through this difficult terrain, or forged their own trail in the direction that Hastings had recommended. Did they do the last one? At Reed's urging, the groups chose the new Hastings route. Okay. So, so the one that hadn't been traveled by anybody, but Hastings yeah. was like, this might be easier so, for so, you. So that was the third option then? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> they, they chose the um, 
the bad option, I guess. <laughs> Their progress slowed to about two and a half kilometers a day. Oh. Like, man. I can walk that. I know. I was just thinking, I'm like, you walk like that in like an hour. Yeah. Like one kilometer in an hour or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because all able-bodied men were required to clear brush, fell trees, and heave rocks to make room for the wagons. So essentially, they're trail brushing. Or, yeah. Is that the word for that? Trailblazing? Trailblazing. Yes. As the Donner Party made their way across the Wasatch Range, the Graves family, who had been set off to find them, finally reached them. Okay. So this is just more people joining their group. Oh, good. More people. (laughs) Yeah. They were another family of old marrieds and young children. This family brought the number of Donner Party members up to 87. More people to eat. The Graves family had been part of the last group to leave Missouri, confirming that the Donner Party was at the end of that year's Western Exodus. It was August 20th by the time that they reached a point in the mountains where they could look down and see the Great Salt Lake. It took almost another two weeks to travel out of the Wasatch Range. The men began arguing and doubts were expressed about the wisdom of those who had chosen this route, in particular, James Reed. Food and supplies began to run out for some of the less affluent families. Stanton and Pike had ridden out with Reed, but had become lost on their way back. By the time that the party found them, they were a day away from eating their horses. Oh no. Luke Halloran, the man who was sick from tuberculosis at the beginning of this story. Yeah, no, and people didn't want to take care of him. Yeah, he died on August 25th. Damn it. I thought, for some reason, I thought that was going to be like, he got better and he saved the day. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was the hero of this story. Yeah, no. A few days after that, the party came across a torn and tattered letter from Hastings. This letter indicated there were two days and nights of difficult travel ahead without grass or water. Oh, good. The party rested their oxen and prepared for this trip. After 36 hours, they set off to traverse a 1,000-foot mountain that lay in their path. (laughs) From its peak, they saw ahead of them a dry, barren plain, perfectly flat, and covered with white salt, larger than the one that they had just crossed, and one of the most inhospitable places on earth, according to one of the travelers. Their oxen were already fatigued, and their water was nearly gone. The party pressed onward on August 30th, having no alternative. In the heat of the day, the moisture underneath the salt crust rose to the surface and turned it into a gummy mess. The wagon wheels sunk into it, and in some cases right up to the hubs. The days were blisteringly hot, and the nights were frigid. Several of the groups saw visions and wagon trains, and believed they had finally overtaken Hastings. After three days, the water was gone, and some of the party removed their oxen from the wagons to press ahead to find more. Some of the animals were so weakened that they were left yoked to the wagons and abandoned. Yoked? Like, like attached to them. Oh, okay. Nine of Reed's ten oxen broke free, crazed with thirst, and bolted off into the desert. Many other families' cattle and horses had also gone missing. The rigors of the journey resulted in irreparable damage to some of the wagons, but no human lives had been lost. Yet. And instead of the promised two-day journey over 64 kilometers, the journey across the 130-kilometer Great Salt Lake Desert had taken them six days. None of the party had any remaining faith in the Hastings cutoff, (laughs) as they recovered the springs on the other side of the desert. They spent several days trying to recover cattle, retrieve wagons left in the desert, and transfer their food and supplies to other wagons. Reed's family incurred the heaviest losses, and Reed became more assertive asking all the families to submit an inventory of their goods and food to him. He suggested that two men should go to Sutter's Fort in California, so they'd go ahead faster. He had heard that John Sutter was exceedingly generous to wayward pioneers and could assist them with extra provisions. Charles Stanton and another man, William McCutcheon, volunteered to take this dangerous trip. 
The remaining working wagons were pulled by mongrel teams of cows, oxen, and mules. It was the middle of September, and two young men who went in search of missing oxen reported that another 64 kilometers of desert lay ahead. <laughs> I'm just picturing them being like, uh, eventually being like, you know what? I think that Hastings was full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their cattle and oxen were now exhausted and lean, but the Donner Party crossed the next stretch of desert relatively unscathed. The journey seemed to get easier, particularly through the valley next to the Ruby Mountains. Despite their near hatred of Hastings, they had no choice but to follow his tracks, which were weeks old. Near hatred? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're like, I'm starting to think I don't like this guy. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> quite there yet, but like, almost. <laughs> yeah. On September 26th, two months after starting on the cutoff, which was supposed to be shorter, it ended up taking them two fucking months. Okay. The Donner Party rejoined the traditional trail along the stream that became known as the Humboldt River. The supposed shortcut had probably delayed them by a month, and they had many other perils ahead. Along the Humboldt River, the party met a group of Paiuti people who joined them for a couple of days, but stole or shot several oxen and horses. Oh. Yeah. By now, it was well into October, and some of the Donner family split off to make better time. Two wagons in the group that was left behind ended up getting tangled with one another, and a man named John Snyder angrily beat the ox of Reed's hired teamster. Damn. When Reed intervened, Snyder proceeded to beat Reed with a whip handle. What? And when Reed's wife also tried to stop him, she too was struck. As a result, Reed retaliated by fatally stabbing Snyder under the collarbone. Whoa, this is, this is getting intriguing. We wasn't intriguing before? That's not what I said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I love uh, death and murder stories and stuff like that. And I had only a lot of background. No, no, it's all good. It's good. It's good. That evening, the witnesses gathered to discuss what was to be done. United States laws were not applicable west of the Continental Divide, and wagon trains often dispensed their own justice. But George Donner, the party's leader, was a full day ahead of this main wagon train. Snyder had been seen to hit James Reed, and some claimed he also hit Margaret Reed. But Snyder had been popular, while James Reed was not. It was suggested that Reed be hanged. Damn. But an eventual compromise allowed him to leave the camp without his family. What? Who were to be taken care of by the others. And they were just all cool with that? Like, the family was just like, see you, dad. I guess so. (laughs) Reed departed alone the next morning, unarmed. But (gasps) Oh, oh, I got a joke. Uh, I think I got a joke. Okay, this has just worked in my head a little bit. But do you remember the, um, the new Justice League movie? It was called The Snyder Cut? Sure. This was a, this was the 1840s version of Snyder the Snyder Cut. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a fully formed joke, but I feel like I got there a little bit. You did, you did, yeah. Thank you. So Reed went off on his own, unarmed, but his stepdaughter Virginia rode ahead and secretly provided him with a rifle and food. So Reed's gone. He's not part of the wagon train anymore. He's off on his own horse trying to get to California, presumably to meet them in California when they get there. Right. The trials and tribulations that the Donner Party had so far endured resulted in a splintering of the groups, with each one looking out for themselves and their own families and being distrustful of the others. Grass was becoming scarce and the animals were steadily weakening. To relieve the animals' load, everyone was expected to walk. One old man named Hardcoop was... Hey, I'm Hardcoop. That's his last name, I'm assuming. Oh, okay. (laughs) Was ejected from a wagon, being told he had to walk or die. A few days later, Hardcoop sat next to a stream, his feet so swollen that they had split open. He was not seen again. 
Oh, Hardcoop. I thought he was going to be the hero. Who is the hero? <laughs> William Eddy pleaded with others to find him, but they all refused, swearing they would waste no more resources on a man who was almost 70 years old. Wow. Eventually, Reed and then the rest of the group caught up with the Donners, and their hardships continued. Horses and cattle were again lost or stolen, resulting in the group losing nearly 100 oxen and cattle, and their rations were almost completely depleted. One group of wagons stopped to cash, cache, cash, cash, stopped cash, which means bury, their wagon, but they again were attacked by the peyotes. And one more stretch of desert lay ahead. A family called the Eddies, and that was the William Eddy that I had just talked about, lost their oxen and thus were forced to abandon their wagon and had eaten all of their stores, but the other families refused to assist their children. The Eddies were forced to walk, carrying their children and miserable with thirst. Margaret Reed and her children were also now without a wagon, but the desert soon came to an end and the party found the Truckee River to be beautiful, lush country. They had little time to rest. The company pressed on to cross the Sierra Nevada before the snows came. Stanton, one of the two men who had left a month earlier to seek assistance in California, came back and found the company. He brought mules, food, and two Miwok men named Louis and Salvador. He also brought news that Reed, although haggard and starving, had succeeded in reaching Sutter's Fort in California. By this point, for the bedraggled, half-starved members of the Donner Party, it must have seemed that their worst of their problems had passed. They had already endured more than many emigrants ever did, but their problems weren't over yet. And that's where we'll leave you today, listeners. Oh, okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm impressed by your cliffhanger. Since we did the last uh, two-parter, you know, you stepped up your game. So, mm. very good. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's all we have for today. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you like what we had to say, please download or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or Google, leave a review, or just tell your friends about us. If you want to see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian, or if you have show ideas or problems you may have noted to correct us, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week, same time, same place, for part two of The Donner Party. I don't feel like my uh, Snyder Cut joke was appreciated enough, but... Uh, I'll make it up to you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.